let's do this. Returning to Hebrews, uh, Pastor Kevin began last week as we're looking through Hebrews 11, that great chapter on faith, the Hall of Fame of Faith, as it's often called. And this evening we'll look here at verses 4 through 7 of Hebrews chapter 11. So let me pray for God's Word this evening as it's read and preached. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Forgive us for how little we think upon it, how little we read it. And we have so many copies of this Word that saints in previous generations and many of our brothers and sisters around the world would literally give their right arm to have as much access as we have to your word. And yet we take it for granted. We pray, Father, that this evening we would not, that we would revel in the gift that it is to hear your voice from heaven and to know that before us and to our ears this evening we have a firm foundation on which to stand. A word that is true, that's eternal, and that is everlasting. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 7. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commanded, uh, commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. That's the holy and errant Word of God. verse 4 begins after last week as Kevin introduced us uh, introduced us to uh, the idea of faith. Verse 4 through 7 here, the writer of Hebrews is now going to walk us through these great examples of faith before we come to the father of the faith, Abraham. And so he is leading us up before that. Think as we think about Hebrews 11 and we get ready to go through all of these different personalities that are in this chapter and saints that have come before us, they're being presented to us as role models and as mentors, if you will, a cloud of witnesses that speak to us. When you and I think of different role models, we may look at different people in our lives and we think, ah, I want to be like that person or that person, and maybe it's because they're hardworking or 
It's because they are strong, or it's because they are gracious, or it's because they're wise, or it's because they're knowledgeable. What the writer of Hebrews is doing when he is setting examples before us, he is saying there's something that begins all of that. Whatever it is that we look to people for and we say, I want to be like that person, and there is an attribute that I see that is exemplified in their lives, he's saying, look, all of that that is worth modeling, that is worth imitating, flows from that which is inward first. And he points us to faith. By faith, all these things flow. Faith, by faith, is the most important mark of someone. And why is that? Because we go down to verse 6, which we'll look at in a little bit. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him, meaning God. For who would ever draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So it's faith that He sets before us beyond anything else. Because that alone is what pleases God. He's going to give us three examples here. He gives us Abel, He gives us Enoch, and then He gives us Noah. So first, Abel. He says here that Abel was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, he says, though he died, he still speaks to us. And in Abel, we see a faith that worships God. Now faith, you are able, you remember, comes before God, and Cain also comes before God, and Cain's offering is not accepted by God, and Abel's offering is accepted by God. And the question is why? And there have been two different main theories about that in the history of the church. The one is that Abel presented an offering to God that was a lamb. It was, it was an animal. And so he looked forward knowing that he had to be covered over by blood. It talks in Genesis of him offering the fat portion. And that signifies that there was a slain that happened there. And so it was some kind of sacrifice that he was offering before God. And he's looking back to Adam and Eve, his parents, who had to be covered over by animal skin. And so blood was shed. And he recognizes that for his sins to be covered, blood has to be shed. And that to come before God in proper worship, blood had to be shed. Whereas Abel, whereas Cain, comes and he just offers the fruit of the ground. It's one possibility, and I think probably the stronger possibility. The second is that what we see of Abel is that he offers what would be the first animal of his flock. Whereas what we read about Cain is that he just offers fruit from the ground. He doesn't offer the first things of anything. It could be either. Regardless, we see in Abel a faith that worships God, and so he is commended as having pleased God, and God accepts his gifts. A faith that worships God. A faith that is commended by God is a faith that leads you and I, as Paul will say in Romans 12, 1-2, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. We don't offer sacrifices any longer in an animal, or, but we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And we're all of our life as a life that's lived in worship to God. That's what faith calls for. 
And we see that, I think, as we build upon that in Enoch. He says, Enoch is commended as having pleased God in that he was taken up and he did not see death. And this is a faith that walks with God. Enoch exemplifies a faith that walks with God. He was always with God. It's interesting, Enoch is probably one of those figures that uh, we should know more about, it feels like, and yet he is one that we know nothing about. He's mentioned in one verse there in Genesis. And yet, he is only one of two figures in all of the scriptures that is immediately taken up to heaven and doesn't see death. What we know about Enoch there in Genesis is that he lived 65 years and then he had a child. And then once he had the child, the writer of Genesis, Moses says, then he began to walk with God. That's fascinating to think about. There are many men, especially, I think women as well, but especially men, I find. You have that first child, and all of a sudden it feels like you got to get your life together. you got responsibility. And I've seen this happen in a lot of young men especially. You have that first child, and now it's going to be, I'm going to live a life of character. I'm going to live a life of faith. I'm going to raise my child to know God. And it starts off hot, and then it diminishes, and it deteriorates. And all of a sudden, that man that was excited about seeking after God because he is now a new father, it dissipates. And often... For people in this world, it is not until we're on that deathbed and thinking about God and thinking about facing death that then all of a sudden you start to run to God again. But here what we see with Enoch is is that he has a child. He's stirred in some way. And from there on out, he walks with God. His entire life, from that moment on, becoming a father, he's consumed with walking with God. And he pleases God. He'd wake up in the morning, and God was upon his mind, and God was upon his heart. So he goes through the day, and he held his baby son. He was thinking of God. As he went out to the field to labor, it was to the glory of God. As he came home and showed love to his wife, it was because he loved God. He was a man who walked with God then all the rest of the days of his life. It's what we might call uh, a personal piety. A man that knew God, didn't compartmentalize God, didn't only allow him into one area of his life or one realm of his life, but all of his life, each step with a step with his God in faith. It's interesting, think about Enoch. It seems as if God says to the world, uh, I am so pleased with Enoch that I will no longer loan him to the world, and so he takes him up to glory without even seeing death. And I think about whatever children he must have had. They must have 
looked after their father and they would have rejoiced at the good example that he was. He walked with God. Paul, when he talks about praying without ceasing, we say, well, how do you pray without ceasing, Paul? How is that even a possibility? Well, it says you walk with God. There is a mindset where God fills it and your heart is set upon Him. And so you find yourself constantly dialoguing with Him throughout the day. You want to please Him in all that you do. And so you don't have to be reintroduced to Him in the evening when you get ready to lay down on your bed and all of a sudden you realize you went through eight hours of the day and didn't give a thought to God. Walking with Him, praying without ceasing. Swebo, a faith that worships God. Enoch, a faith that walks with God. And then Noah, a faith that fears God. What you see first, though, what he says in verses 6 and 7, before we look at Noah's faith, he says, And without faith it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. Isn't that fascinating? Because God, when He introduces Himself, and when Moses is on the mount, and He says, Who is it that I should say has sent me? It's God who says to Him, I am who I am. I exist. As I have no beginning, I have no middle, I have no end. I just am. The writer of Hebrews is saying, You have to believe that God exists. But notice it's not just believing that He exists, that He's some kind of distant deity, that He is He is just there and He is this impersonal force that is out beyond our horizon and He's distant and there, but that He's a God who's involved in this world. And a God who rewards those who seek after Him. And the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, a covenant-keeping God. He's a rewarder. In the Gospel we have the promises of Christ Jesus, the promises of God, and as we trust those promises, and the one from whom those promises come, He rewards us with His sovereign kindness. Look at what the psalmist says there in Psalm 23. He says at the end of it, he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. If you're on a, a stage in high school I was in, we had this stage, and I would do musicals in high school, and we had these two spotlights. There was one on each side of the stage, and as you were on that stage, those two spotlights would would follow you, would follow the main actor as they were going across the stage. And that's what I often think of when I think of the end of Psalm 23. I think there's a spotlight of God's mercy and God's goodness that is aimed at the Christian, that is just following them everywhere they go. And those lights, they create a shadow behind the person, don't they? 
You can't always see that shadow. You can't always turn around and see the shadow. And yet that shadow is always following you wherever you go. For the Christian, goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. You can't always see it. But it's always following. He's a rewarder of those who seek after him. Third, Noah, a faith that fears God. He says, and before he was, uh, and without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And Noah is the example of that last half of verse 6. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah has a fear that, a faith that fears God. Abel, a faith that worships God. Enoch, a faith that walks with God. Noah, a faith that fears God. In reverent fear, the writer of Hebrews says, he constructed the ark. He believed that God was a rewarder of those who seek Him. But the reverse of that is also true. If you believe that is the case, then there is also believe that God is a God of justice upon those who do not seek Him. And Noah believed this in reverent fear. He believed that God was holy and that He was going to execute His justice on the earth. He was going to condemn the world. He says that Noah here condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It is though the world didn't believe as Noah believed, he believed God more than anything else. And though the world mocked him and no doubt laughed at him as he built this ark and as he constructed something that no one saw on the horizon, yet he feared God more than he feared the world. And he looked like the fool as he was preparing for the judgment to come. He looked like the fool. And that's often the case for the Christian. We look like the fool in the world's eyes. But we know what's on the horizon. We know what's coming. And so Noah fears God and he builds the ark. How did he condemn the world, as the writer of Hebrews says here? Well, when we live in obedience to the Lord, when we set our eyes on God, it thunders to the rest of the world that they are living in unrighteousness. The world won't like our righteousness because it always condemns their unrighteousness. And Noah, by his act, was doing that very thing. What I want to do, though, just to close, is to camp out on this last verse. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. That's an astounding verse. He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Do you see what the writer of Hebrews is doing here? He's pointing to you and I that even before Abraham, even before the covenant is entered into with Abraham, 
The Old Testament saints that preceded Abraham were saved the same way that we are saved. By faith. And by the righteousness that is credited to them, that is given to them as they come in faith. It's the same salvation. It's the same faith. It's the same righteousness. The Reformation could be described as a movement to reassert the biblical doctrine of justification by faith alone. The Reformers understood that that's what they were doing. They were reasserting justification by faith alone. They would often call it the, the material uh, source of the Reformation. Material, meaning that's a substance. The Gospel is a substance. Now, the formal cause of the Reformation was sola scriptura, that is, that we are going back to the sources, back to the Word itself, but that material cause was the Gospel itself, was justification by faith alone and Christ alone. The Reformers were responding to what was true in the Roman Catholic Church, that the Roman Catholic Church believed in justification by faith. They just didn't believe it was justification by faith alone. And that makes all the difference. And that is what the writer of Hebrews is even asserting here, that Noah was justified by faith alone. Holy God will never be satisfied with the works of fallen men. Justification can't be based upon merit. Neither is our justification based upon the infusion of Christ's righteousness in us. As the Roman Catholic Church taught and still teaches that, yes, you receive justification by faith, they would teach, but that righteousness of Christ that you receive upon being baptized and then it's worked out for the rest of your life, it is infused in you. And so it is as you cooperate with that infused righteousness that you grow in righteousness over the course of your life, and so therefore you are pleasing to God. Reformers rightfully recognize that it was not infused righteousness, it is imputed righteousness. It is that Christ lived a holy life for us and then died a holy death for us and that righteousness that was His not transgressed in the law was then credited to us imputed to us reckoned to our account and so we are declared righteous based upon the righteousness of Christ that's credited to us not because of the righteousness that grows within us or that forms in us It's not because we are righteous that we're declared righteous. It's because we have been given and credited righteousness that we're declared righteous. And we see it here before Abraham. The Old Testament saints were credited with the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's the same faith. It's the same faith and the same righteousness that we enjoy in the new age. It's the same salvation and it's the same instrument that we receive the salvation by. And that is faith alone in Christ alone. It's a real righteousness because it's a real imputation. 
It occurs within a real spirit-wrought union with the righteous Christ. It was true of Noah by this. He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It was true of Enoch and it was true of Abel. And as we go through the rest of this chapter, we're going to see that it's true of every single one that comes after. I had faith alone and Christ alone. And so we're declared righteous before the very throne of God. And then they're living out that faith in a way that pleases God. I pray that you know that faith this evening, that you know that righteousness of Christ, and that that is what you depend upon for your salvation, that you're looking upon Him in faith. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, for His life and death and burial and resurrection, for sinners such as us. We're thankful for the example that has gone before us of saint after saint. We thank You, Lord, for Abel, a faith that worshipped You. We thank You for Enoch, a faith that exemplified walking with You. We thank You for Noah, a faith that exemplified fearing you. We pray, Father, that our faith, whether mature or immature, would continue to grow. The righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us, that we would stand in that, but even as we stand in that, that we would seek by the power of your Spirit and by the faith that you have given to us as a gift to grow in the likeness of our Savior. We would have a more mature faith. A faith that maybe our children would point to, or our grandchildren would point to, or that a brother or sister might point to, and might be stirred to greater faith themselves. Thank you for the cloud of witnesses that surround us. And encourage us to keep our eyes fixed upon you, and to glory in you with all that we are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.